Around December time, a lot of people start reflecting on the past year. The highs and the lows and the overall feeling the year left imprinted on their psyche. For me, it was actually too busy to even think about until right now. When I look back on 2013, all I can remember is the menacing calm of January followed by a non-stop flurry of touring that started in February and ended about 10 days ago as I record this. It's a whirl of memories that spools faster in my mind than any movie montage could muster. From Australia to Finland, from House of Blues in Los Angeles to Hellfest in Clisson to Berlin Tempelhof with De Erze, this year has been one of the busiest we've ever had. And with year ends come the inevitable top tens marking the year's best. For me, Church of Misery's Thy Kingdom Scum topped the best album list, and the Yob Brothers of the Sonic Cloth show in Seattle back in September was show of the year. I got to sing Nervous Breakdown with Fucked Up, You're Crazy with Duff McKagan's Loaded, and Angel Fuck with Volbeat. Our band had many a great show, too. We toured Australia, we hit the United States twice, and polished off two European tours as well as a handful of festivals, including playing Woodstock, Poland, in front of almost half a million people. We got our first gold record for our song, Had Enough, and we managed to stealthily acquire our new drummer, Rich Knox, who has settled in seamlessly and spectacularly, stepping it up on the drums. Every year, you manage to meet a few people that you become friends with, that you click with. My only problem is I keep it pretty tight-knit. Admittedly, not too social. I mean, I have the friends I have. I've had them for years. For example, Nick Flanagan, who co-hosts this podcast with me, occasionally is someone who I've known for almost 20 years. Same with JC and past guests like Gary Taxali, Nick Sewell, Stuart Berman, Brendan Canning. But really, 2013 was marked by the, the people I, I did end up meeting, often because of this podcast existing. I mean, it gave me an excuse to meet Tad Doyle. When would I have ever met him? Same with Lydia Chris. I got to have a few sit-downs with Duff McKagan because of this podcast, got caught up with Pete Stahl, Dizzy Reed, Richard Fortist, finally got to do the podcast with Nate Newton, Doc Coyle came on and announced his leaving God Forbid, talked with Rob Caggiano, and was able to catch up with Feist, using the podcast as an excuse for our 50th episode. Probably the best example of this was getting to meet and to know Barrett Martin, drummer of The Walking Papers, Screaming Trees, and Mad Season. We really spent the summer together touring the States on the Uproar Festival and having discussion after discussion about anything and everything that sometimes lasted for a few hours at a time. Anyone who knows me that knows that that doesn't happen very often, but Barrett is the exception among men. When he appeared on the podcast a few months ago, I tagged it with a part one. Confident it was an episode that would keep people interested for a part two. Plus, I had part two taped and in the bag already. Not that it didn't warrant it, but I was quite surprised by the amount of great feedback I got for part one. People who I knew but didn't know they listened to the podcast made a point of telling me Barrett's episode was great. So if you thought that was great, get ready for part two. It's coming up. Thanks to Skull Candy Headphones and Blue Mic Microphones for supporting the podcast. And thank you for listening to the podcast and even a few of you who have left comments. That's great. Thank you. Please keep leaving those comments.
Here's part two of my talks with Barrett Martin on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. Last time, right as we were ending, and I had to, I think I had to get ready to go on stage, too. That's right. Um, you dropped this whole Fidel Castro story oh, on yeah. me that yeah, I was yeah. unprepared for. <laughs> the Fidel bomb. Yeah. yeah, and then you, and then, which didn't make the podcast, um, was the beginnings of the other story about you taking ayahuasca. That's right. This is the second half of the Barrett Martin series of talks that we've had for this whole uproar when i when this tour is over i'm gonna think about just you and me and catering yeah and then i'm gonna go oh and then there were shows right right isn't that often the case though on a good tour is you think about the friendships and personal relationships the shows are you know when you do 25 or more shows it's a lot to remember Mm -hmm. you know that they were good but you don't remember exactly every every little thing every little detail but you remember the stories mm-hmm. yeah and uh you know over over a period of years some of the tours we've done i've i've managed to become very good friends with some of the other guys and bands i've toured yeah. with um and uh this tour was sort of a blind date for everybody yeah. you know yeah. we toured with duff so we knew going into this duff that was our that was our anchor almost yeah. you know okay well duff's here yeah and duff i mean back when we were uh bef- i mean we were still touring in europe i think and he was talking about danko jones and then the uproar tour got finalized and then we saw you were on there so we we were looking forward to that yeah and from our end we had already spent the early part of the year with loaded right and so right. We we're like okay well we like those loaded guys. Who are these yeah. walking papers guys? Right, right. <laughs> and uh, Seattle been, Part Two. Yeah. So uh, no, it's been a great tour, and we're down to the wire now. Yeah, that's last right. Four shows. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but as I was saying, you dropped this whole bomb, this Fidel Castro ayahuasca bomb on me, and so please tell me from the beginning your experiences with taking ayahuasca. It's all in the same cluster of time actually is there a thread between the two yeah because what happened was uh in 1999 the screaming trees broke up we ended up playing one more show in 2000 but but in 99 i was i was officially not in a rock band anymore and i wasn't sure that i wanted to be in another rock band to be honest because i'd you know i'd had good experiences and i'd gotten to travel the world but also you know some friends of mine had died and and you know bands had had ended you know not under the best conditions and i i i knew i wanted to be involved in music but i wasn't sure that rock and roll was my path so um i started going back to school i started studying ethnomusicology and which is the study of world music studied anthropology and um and right around the same time i moved uh to new mexico so this was uh uh, you know, between 2000 and 2001. And uh, I had I had already kind of experimented with some natural entheogens. That's the term for a, a naturally occurring psychotrope, like peyote or mushrooms or ayahuasca or any, any of the, the shamanic um, 
drugs, which okay. which are they're, they're they're psychotropic drugs that help you see and have visions. But it's not the same thing as taking you know. My, my- Mushrooms? Well, yeah, mushrooms uh, are are considered a you know a psychotropin in some traditions, very sacred, and there's a whole ceremony that goes with that. I'd also been reading the McKenna brothers, you know, Terence and Dennis McKenna. Yes, who were absolutely. both. Uh, well, Dennis McKenna was a was a doctor, and I believe Terence McKenna was a PhD, and they were they were very experienced in all of these shamanic traditions around the world, and wrote right. a lot of books about it. And and I'd read all the Castaneda stuff and. Um, and so the reason why I got into anthropology and musicology was that um, I'd always been naturally drawn to indigenous ceremonies. So when I was a young man, um, I was involved in uh, uh, Native American sweat lodge ceremonies and um, ended up participating in two uh, Lakota sun dances. And, uh, and, and I just had a lot of friends that were Native American, and, and I'd, my family had lived in Australia, so I spent time uh, learning about Aboriginal culture and music. And, and uh, anyway, this all kind of came to a uh, kind of came to a head in 2004 when I was finishing my bachelor's degree, and I'd been accepted to graduate school, and, uh, and I was doing field research in the Peruvian Amazon on the Shipibo people. Okay. That was a long monologue, I just realized. So <clears throat> no, should no, I just no. keep going? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, for sure. This is all pertinent. <laughs> so so, I, uh, so I, uh, I got permission from my department to go, and um, I, got, I got a little bit of a, a grant, and, um, and I was part of a documentary film team that was making a film about the Shipibo people who are uh, very traditional and still live in the upper Peruvian Amazon as they have for thousands of years. And, and uh, if you've seen any of the, the Werner Herzog movies like Aguirre, Wrath of God, and Fitzcarraldo and things like that, that that's filmed in that part of the Amazon. Okay. So uh, it's where the Amazon begins. And uh, it's very, very dense jungle. You fly into a small town called Pucalpa, and then you just start going upriver in a little motorized boat. And, uh, and, and you get to this village called San Francisco de Yarina Cocha, which means San Francisco of Serpent Lagoon. And oh, okay. so the serpent meaning the, the anaconda, which is the, you know, the giant riverine snake. And the Shipibo see it as a, uh, as a ancestral totem and a protector. You know, it's a, it's a predator, but they see it as a much like you might see the lion or you know a tiger as as like a totem animal and uh so so ayahuasca is this very very powerful psychotrope it's a vine that wraps around trees but it also has to be mixed together with a leaf uh from the uh the tree banisteriopsis and when you um or i'm sorry the the uh the vine is called Banisteriopsis, and the leaf is called Psychotria viridis. And when you boil them together, you get this symbiotic compound called ayahuasca. And the shamans drink the ayahuasca, and they have visions, and they hear music. And the music comes out of the rainforest, and it will manifest as a song, often which they use for healing ceremonies. And they're very specific songs. And in addition to hearing music, and hearing, you know, actual, you know, words that become these curing songs, they also see in their visual cortex a visual pattern. 
And this process is called synesthesia, where you see a pattern at the same time as you hear music. And that's that's a complex version of it, but you've probably heard of people who, when they hear the chord, like they hear D minor, and they'll be like, oh, that kind of reminds me of a dark purple. I've, or, I've heard it described like that. Yeah. Personally, I, I have trouble understanding that but yeah okay i am not synesthetic myself but i've talked to people that when they hear certain notes or chords or rhythms they actually will see a color or they'll sometimes they get a taste sensation it'll be a salty taste or a sweet taste or, okay yeah i mean it's and, and it's there's a, a lot of literature on it it basically what they think it is is that when we're babies and we're first coming into the world we have all these senses Mm -hmm. but they're not compartmentalized in the brain yet. As we get older, our brain starts to compartmentalize and goes, oh, that's a sight, that's visual, that's a smell, that's a taste, that's a touch, and we separate. Right. But some people, those barriers have not solidified, and so... Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so with the Shipibo, they are uh, hearing music, seeing these beautiful fractal patterns and and developing these curing songs which they will use in their curing ceremonies through taking ayahuasca through taking ayahuasca however extremely powerful and advanced shamans can hear the music without taking the ayahuasca so so you don't always have to have the entheogen involved right. in the but, ceremony but but i mean it goes without saying they yeah. probably taken numerous dosages yeah before yeah. so and i will say this i did the ceremony multiple times and and it was in the jungle and when when the medicine would come on the jungle sounded musical to me i could hear uh, here's the thing about the amazon uh that if you haven't been there you wouldn't know this but when the sun goes down it gets so loud you can't believe it it sounds like a sawmill from all the animals yeah the insects they they start right. buzzing and vibrating and it's the loudest thing you've ever heard that isn't a rock band wow and you think there's no way i'm going to be able to sleep but, right. just, but within a couple of days it lulls you to sleep and you have the best sleep you'll ever have in your life wow um i mean in recent years ayahuasca has gained um, this reputation in pop culture as kind of the ultimate high. Right. And people have used it, I mean, originally, I guess, not when you took it, but up until a few years ago, people were using it to gain some sort of extrasensory spiritual um, perception. But now I feel that it's kind of becoming known to the masses now. It's, it's just going to be kind of appropriated as another way to get high um you obviously took it from the the real the real deal the most genuine point you can take it what was your experience while you were on this ultimate this ayahuasca this is the for me i mean i thought it was peyote and then i found out about ayahuasca and now i, I realize this is yeah this is yeah. the closest thing you can get to like what god or or yeah. what, i don't know i've never taken it but Please. Well, to answer just the first part of the the question, which is kind of a, 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 is a comment that I think is very important, is that the taking of ayahuasca has become a form of ecotourism. So people, you know, it's actually legal to take it in the United States because the Supreme Court ruled that it was just like peyote for the Native American church. It's a sacrament. So you can do it in the United States, but 
if you go to the Peruvian Amazon, that's the shamans, the Shipibo shamans are the ones that everybody goes to study with. So even in the Amazon, other indigenous shamans will go to learn from the Shipibo because they're sort of like the, the masters of the tradition. Okay. And uh, the active alkaloid in ayahuasca is dimethyltryptamine, DMT. And DMT, you find it all over the world in different plants and animals. It's also in the human pituitary gland. So we already have it in our body. But you have to take it with the MAO inhibitor to cause this uh, reaction in the visual cortex. And to briefly explain how that works, when you take uh, a hallucinogenic like acid or, or one of the like ecstasy, things like that, you're actually causing a disruption in your neural synapses. Um, when you take ayahuasca or any of the dimethyltryptamine-based entheogens, the DMT molecule actually makes a perfect lock over the serotonin molecule in your neural synapse and it magnifies. So that's why they say the difference is when you, when you take acid, you have a hallucination. When you take ayahuasca, you have a vision. And you actually see it in your visual cortex of your brain. You mentioned that to me before, yeah. and I, I told you like, I have trouble understanding that. Um, I mean, I've taken acid, and I've had hallucinations. Yeah. But even I knew it was a hallucination right. in the back of my head. Right, so, right. Is this where it differs with a vision? Well, with a vision, it, it's very similar to when, when you have a really vivid dream or even a lucid dream where you wake up in the dream and you know you're dreaming, but you, you're seeing this, these characters and this, this vision play out. Um, if you've ever had that happen or, or some, okay. Um, I haven't, so you haven't, that's but, what's probably making it hard for me to understand. But when you have a really vivid dream, mm -hmm. you and I talked about this one time, because I don't dream a lot. I, yeah. I just sleep real heavy, and I don't have a lot of dreams, but every now and then I do have a real powerful dream, and it usually means something. You know? Yeah. It's like that, except you're conscious, and you know that you're having this vision, and in that vision, a lot of things play out. So, f for example, uh, I did uh, the ayahuasca ceremony um probably i'm going to say a dozen times and and it's an all-night ceremony wow. and the uh the shaman is singing throughout the entire ceremony <laughs> and singing these curing songs which he or she themselves has learned from taking ayahuasca and wandering around in the rainforest and and getting these messages from you know the plants and the animals and the insects and now, part of what I'm going to say, you, you kind of have to, you got to go into the realm of the mystical to kind of understand this, but the general belief is that every living thing has a song that it carries within it. And there's a lot of truth to that because we're, as, as conscious beings, we're vibrational. We're vibrating and we're, you know, we're, we're made of molecules. And that could be interpreted as a kind of song. Okay. So the shamans of the rainforest see everything as being alive. The trees, the birds, the insects, the animals, the reptiles, the, the elements, water, earth, wind, fire. Um, all of these things are communicating with us all the time. And when the shaman tunes in, they can hear the songs of these different entities. So during the course of the ceremony, they'll be singing songs that are coming to them. And you have to just sort of assume that that communion with the rainforest and with the natural universe is actually healing you because you are you are reconnected to the life force and everything that's causing 
the rainforest to exist in the first place. You're a part of it. You're not separate from it. And when you, when I took ayahuasca for the first time, I had an incredibly powerful experience and I left my body and was out in the universe and I saw things and understood things and communicated with beings and a certain amount of information was passed that I can't always articulate it in language, but I understand things in a very different way that changed me for the rest of my life. I was going to say, yeah. n- n- you were changed after that first totally time? Totally changed after the first time. How so? Uh, well, the first thing the shaman told me when, when we were interpreting some of the things that I saw and experienced, he said, well, now the jungle is inside of you and she, she's feminized, will be inside of you forever. So the main thing that I realized is that the earth is alive. It, it is alive and it has a consciousness and it is not some... Uh, remote being that we're just trampling upon to take whatever resources we want to take. She's alive, she has a conscience, and she has feeling and emotion. Um, very much like a woman. <laughs> but but life comes from women. It comes from the feminine side of the universe. So so I I just felt this deep reverence for the earth that I came out of the earth, that I walk upon the earth, that I make music on the earth, and when I die, I will go back into it. Um, I also, I think as a musician, I was passed some information about, you know, how the universe is structured and ordered and organized through rhythm and sound and melody. And after I came, you know, two months later, when I came out of Peru, I was a very different human being. I was a very different musician. Were you, was your personality changed when you were when you were dealing with other people? Were you yes. more patient, et cetera, yeah. like things like that? Yeah, I would say uh, it made me a more compassionate and and uh, understanding human being. I mean, I've I've always kind of been that way. I was raised; my parents raised me to be that way. But um, being in rock and roll and and uh, also, you know, I lived a pretty rough and tumble lifestyle and you know a lot of a lot of party drinking and doing recreational drugs that were not the healing of kind the earth. right <laughs> yeah, yeah they're not yeah. they were of a chemist's lab <laughs> yeah right I and gotcha. that's not good and uh so so when i uh i i i've been sober now for almost 15 years but when i went into the amazon i was already sober and and pretty clean and clean and clear but uh the experience of working with authentic indigenous shamans, men and women, of this very old tradition, um, which is a matriarchal tradition, by the way. It comes through the grandmothers to the mothers to the children. So it it goes to both men and women, but it's traditionally matriarchal. Um, Working with those shamans and doing these ceremonies with ayahuasca and some curing ceremonies without ayahuasca, you know, radically changed how I how I saw the earth and the universe and human beings okay I've got a few questions um number one um I don't know where to start but let's go back yeah these uh these visions that you saw yeah could you describe them you said sure, there, there yeah. were beings was was it like aliens or was it like like spirits well you know, it's kind of interesting, the word alien, because nothing can be alien if it's of the universe, because uh, as you and I have talked about, I also study Zen, and Zen is all about being one with everything, with with your immediate surroundings. You know, when we're backstage here at a giant rock festival, 
you know, this, there's one thing happening here. But mm-hmm. in our minds, we think that we're separate individuals participating in this dance, right? which is how it appears. But the reality is it's one thing. And, and that is the, the main thing I realized from those visions. Like the, the ayahuasca vision confirmed everything that I'd already been studying in Zen, which is that the universe is made of one molecular fabric. It's one tapestry and it's, it's organized through vibration, rhythm, and melody. And this incredibly complex sonic symphony is organizing the entire universe, from stars to solar systems to planets to individual beings. What was in the visions that you saw? Well, one of the vision, the, the first vision I had when I actually left my body, and, and uh, I had what they called the little death, where you actually you leave I've your heard body that term and before. yeah and and it, it i think it may be maybe what death feels like i don't know i'll i'll let you know when i get there <laughs> but but it but it's sort of a uh, a feeling of letting go you leave the physical body and my consciousness knew that i had this body on earth that was sitting next to this shaman in this little hut in the amazon but the other part of my my mind consciousness was way out in the cosmos you know, I saw I saw galaxies swirling by, and and uh, I saw solar systems, you know, forming and being created, and I saw you know stars exploding and planets coming to life. I saw life go into planets. I, you know, it, it, very curious because someone like me, yeah. who you know doesn't have a background in you know Zen Buddhism or or. Uh, ethnomusicology if I was to take ayahuasca with you on that first try yeah would I have seen the same things in other words were other people that you took it with did they have similar backgrounds or was it like hey a, a, you know like some dude you know who who watches TV and, right. and eats junk food and he had a similar experience or a different experience I think the thing with ayahuasca in that it actually has a consciousness to it it has a spirit to it and the and the the shamans uh, will say it's the anaconda spirit so it's it's closest to the earth you know the anaconda slithers along the earth kind of like the vine up the tree and it coils up the tree and it there are all kinds of metaphors you know like the dna helix and things like that uh, it it goes to the core of your being and it will reveal inside of you whatever it is you need to see or know so for example um, there are a lot of people have the common vision of seeing the universe like that's not an uncommon one but some people will see uh, dead ancestors and relatives and they may not even know them except that in the vision some part of their spirit recognizes like that's an ancestor oh that's creepy and they just know yeah that, right, and right. this ancestor is there to pass on information to them right or sometimes uh sometimes you see you know spirit beings anthropomorphic you know they're they're sort of indefinable as you don't know if they're human or alien or or animal spirit but 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 it's an entity that is has come to pass on information to you and a lot of the things i'm saying these are classic shamanic i mean you could read any book on shamanism in any tradition and they'll say this because that's why shamanism is the universal religion every culture had it before organized religion came and and the techniques are often the, you know the same you 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 do either a a plant medicine or sometimes it's a rhythmic drumbeat to get the hemispheres of the brain to synchronize and then you start to commune with the universe 
Um, and I'm talking about a lot of different things all at the same time, and it yeah. might be hard for some people to follow what I'm saying, but it's, as I said at the beginning, you know, you're entering into the realm of the mystical, which means you have to let go of, you know, corporate programming and, you know, the, the way the mind is conditioned to think in the world that we currently live in. There's this other world, which is the true spiritual mystical world, and it's enormous, much bigger than this world. In fact, it's infinite. Did uh, you said you took it around a dozen times? Yeah. Was yeah. was your twelfth time uh, different than the first time, or was yeah. it exactly no impactful? Each vision was different. I saw different things and and saw different landscapes. Uh, I mean, one vision yeah. I had, I'm pretty sure I was visiting other planets. I saw landscapes that were not of this Earth, um, and. One of the times, I think I might have even told you about this, uh, I, I took a particularly powerful dose, and I didn't have any visions whatsoever, but I felt, in, I felt my heart open, and I could feel emotional and, and empathetic information coming into me. <clears throat> so there was no visual reference for it, but I could, I could just feel the world, and I could feel my relationships with people. I could feel relationships with my family and loved ones and friends, um, my musical relationships with, with band members, that, some that were still here and some that had passed on. There was no visual. I didn't have a vision of any kind. It was all felt, emotional, intuitive, but it was incredibly powerful. And one of the things the shamans repeatedly said was that the medicine will give you the vision that you need it's not necessarily what you want but it'll be what you need so it might be a visual experience or it might be an emotional one some people um it's a physical healing experience um because after you do the ceremony the next day you feel so physically good that you can't believe what, how, how improved your health is. So it hasn't left anyone scarred? Mm. Oh, I don't think so. I, I, also, it's really important to say that this is not um, a drug or a ceremony to get high because you actually don't get high like that. It's not I think like, people are starting to misinterpret Yeah, this. yeah. It's not like smoking pot or taking cocaine or heroin and getting high. It's not like that at all. It's a you're very conscious and you're very sober but you have this incredible, you know, a shamanic experience is a, a completely different experience than having a, uh, a narcotic high. How long does it last? Uh, several hours, all night. It's usually an all-night ceremony, You're usually awake all night. Sometimes in the late night, early morning hours, you might kind of drift into a slight dreamlike sleep. But for the most part, you're awake and you want to be awake. You're actually awake and conscious even though you're having these, these visions. And when people saw you after you had taken it, uh -huh. did they notice the change? Yeah, what was funny is uh, uh, my friend who was the cinematographer on this project, and, and, and he had been doing the ceremony before we actually went down there. Um, when, when we came back, we actually had to fly to New York City, and we were walking around in Central Park, and we just felt so good and so clean you know i mean ayahuasca cleans you out it's like a it's like a purgatory and cleans out your digestive system and it you know cleans your blood and just gets rid of all kinds of does stuff. that mean you can you can go <clears throat> to the washroom while you're doing it yeah yeah, yeah sometimes 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 people throw up i i oh. never had that experience with it it you know can cause you to vomit up 
you know, if you have any bad stuff inside of you. But, but uh, all I know is that we were walking around in Central Park and we were just glowing with, with, with good vibes. And strangers were coming up to us and just like, wow, uh, how are you? You look amazingly well. I mean, literally, it was prompting complete strangers to come up to us and, and just make these. It was like we drew out the, this part of their personality. And, and um, yeah, like multiple times people were would just walk up to us and like well uh how are you and, and we would just be like oh we're doing great and, and uh out the, of everything you've told me yeah, that is yeah. probably the most yeah surprise like mind-blowing and what's funny is i actually ran into somebody that i went to high school with right there on, on the you know this the little paved walkway that we were that we were sitting on a bench and a friend of mine that i went to high school with just walked past me and but I've heard people say that about New York too that you'll just like you know okay, you'll meet, you'll, that. you'll meet people you know in a city of 10 million people you'll meet somebody you went to high school with and that's actually happened to me where I bumped into people yeah. I know going oh my god what are you doing here yeah. but no one in all the years that I've been walking down the street has yeah. have people come up to me multiple times during the yeah. same walk yeah yeah and said wow yeah. hello yeah that happened that three, ex- three or four different complete strangers uh something happened where we made eye contact with them and they were just drawn to walk over and you guys weren't walking around like you're crazy with no, smiling no, at everybody no were no you? no we were just we just felt very you feel very good and natural and relaxed and grounded and i think in a city like new york where it's kind of fast-paced and frenetic people picked up on that and they just wanted to start a conversation with us but t- for you guys to have that aura to even draw that yeah I mean, that's... And it lasted for a long time because then when I went back to Seattle um, and I saw my friends and family, they all said the same thing. Like, wow, you look great. You look healthy and clean and clear. And, you know, they, like, and, and I think that just kind of, it further reinforces that truth that the universe is one thing taking place. If you focus on yourself, focus on you know, living a good life and, and living, you know, a clean and moderate and, you know, good, ex- whatever's good for you, that you, like your path that you know you should, you should be on, whether it's a musical path or a business path or a, whatever you are, yeah. be, be the best carpenter or mason or teacher or scientist or musician or whatever it is that you do, be the best that you can be at it and live that good existence it, it resonates with people because they know that you're being authentic to your path. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, if everybody does that, then the universe is in perfect harmony. You're doing what you're put here to do. I think ayahuasca just kind of helps you remember that. I think what it does really is it, it reminds you who you are and, and gets you reset on that path. And because it doesn't make you do or become anything that you're not. But what it might do is remind you of who you are or show you a new path that you hadn't thought of. And then that's a doorway, you know, to a new existence. Well, you make a good um, argument to, to, to try it. But I, I'm very... I, yeah. I highly recommend that people do ayahuasca and, and but, don't have fear right. of, of that it's going to be like a bad experience like you might have had doing doing drugs or well, things like that. Well, that's what I'm very, 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 very hesitant about because yeah. I've had yeah. bad experiences. Yeah. 
um, and I can't shake that feeling. But yeah, it, I mean, just this story you're telling me about afterwards walking yeah. around is enough for me to go, hmm. Yeah. Well, they also I like that they call it the mother or the queen, the queen of the jungle, the mother. Um, the, shaman, the, the yeah. ayahuasca itself. Yeah, the, the spirit of the ayahuasca is like your mother, you know. Your mother brought you into this world and, and you know, nurtured you and protected you. Um, and even if you didn't have a good childhood, you st- the mother still brought you right. into it, you know. Right. And, and uh, that, that motherly energy is what you feel in ayahuasca, you know. The mother teaches you. And sometimes, you know, it's like you got a hard lesson that you need to learn here. But it's not going to harm you. It's going to enlighten you. It's going to open your mind to the way the universe is and the way that you can walk within that universe. It shows you pathways. Hmm. That's what she does. So it's a, it's a very nurturing and um, uh, embracing experience. And if there's any hesitation or anxiety that you feel, it's it's much like you would feel like when you're a little kid and you know you're going to get scolded by your mother, and you're like, okay, I'm I'm ready to be, I'm ready to be taught my lesson here. You know, that that's the only thing that I that even comes close to fear. It's just more like a, okay, I'm going into this. I just know there's a few lessons I know I still have to learn. Yes, oh, they're (laughs) infinite. Well, here's what I was gonna—I was gonna say one other thing because um, we kind of touched on this in our previous conversation when I was talking about musical cultures around the world and some of the places I'd been. And one of the things that the the ayahuasca ayahuasca experience that I had in Peru came at the end of a series of journeys that I did, which included going to West Africa to study with the griot singers and storytellers. And time I'd spend in Australia uh, when my family lived there and learning about the song lines and how Aboriginal people demarcate their territory. Right. And to me, ayahuasca was just sort of, it was the, uh, the experience that pulled all of that together. Because it's, it's an experience that anyone can have, but it originates in the Amazon basin, which is this incredibly uh, fertile and alive part of the planet which is of course also under great threat because of logging and deforestation which once they destroy the rainforest you know you can't rainforests don't just pop up they take millions of years to develop so when when i had the ayahuasca experience what it did is it tied in together all of these musical traditions that i'd been studying around the world and what i saw is that the earth like a human being is expressing itself in a lot of different ways and it expresses itself through these cultures around the world through their music. So in West Africa, it's a particular tradition, and in Australia, it's a particular tradition, and all over the world, this music is radiating out of the earth. Right. I think what the ayahuasca did was it helped to magnify that for me. I, I could see it and understand it in my mind in a way that I couldn't before. And and up to that point, I'd spent years in in academia. You know, I'd been in undergraduate and graduate class seminars, you know, studying real, you know, academic theoretical stuff about music and culture around the world. And, you know, literally a handful of ayahuasca sessions and and I understood it. But I understood it at the deep mystical way, in in, in the true realm, not the realm of books and, you know, 
professors and things like that, but right. in the realm of like the realm of spirit, I think is is how I would put it. Um, it it's it's amazing, and and I think the only thing that's unfortunate is if human beings don't have that experience, if they don't ever touch the spirit world and they see what is behind the veil. I th what I'm trying to say is not that everybody should go to Peru. If you get the chance to go to Peru and do ayahuasca, please do it. Or even if you get the chance to do ayahuasca in the United States at one of the official ceremonies, do it. Um, what I mean is that our mind can be so conditioned by the world the way it is. We, we're living in a world that is deeply controlled by corporate culture, global multinational corporations that control everything we eat and drink and maybe even the air we breathe if they have their way. All the products we buy, you know, we, we don't even see the process behind it. We, yeah. we are just the zero point sum that consumes it. Yes. And it's very easy for the mind to, to get lazy and lethargic and fall asleep and think that that's what the world is. And it isn't. It's a tiny, tiny speck of what the world is. And I'm speaking about, you know, this, this deep, infinite spiritual realm from whence everything comes from. And ways to get in touch with that, um, any of the indigenous ceremonies usually will, will touch on it. That's the thing. That's why, that's why I love studying indigenous culture is that at its core, it's animistic and shamanic. And every culture has a ceremony that can help you uh, realize that. So if you live in the United States or Canada, go to the Native American ceremonies, you know, any, any of them that you can, the public ones that, that, you know, are open to the public and you can go and watch and sometimes participate. And if it resonates with you, go deeper into it. Because the indigenous people are the ones that hold the, the true, uh, the truth, you know, the real information, the secrets of the environment of nature, of, of the animal kingdom, of the way humanity should live in balance with it. The indigenous people have had that information for thousands of years. Um, so in that sense, I'm, I'm a real advocate for that. Like, really, go learn from indigenous people as much as you can. Go to ceremonies. Go to their talks in, in any of the workshops they give. Um, if you can take classes in school on indigenous studies, do it. Um, and then I, I do believe that, you know, certain people are drawn to the more psychotropic experiences. If you're going to do it, you know, do it with the real stuff in a real ceremony. So uh, if you can do a peyote ceremony, you know, a Native American church peyote ceremony um, or any of the Church of Santo Dime, which is the ones that have the right to use um, ayahuasca in uh, the United States. You know, I really want to make a point that... Um, all uh, the, the, the taking of all these substances, mm -hmm. um, I find in Western culture, yeah, uh, a lack of respect, yeah, and it's yep. it's used as someone would use like uh, a party favor, right, right, and um, which is why I feel, I mean, I I used to smoke grass, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, I I always had in the back of my head this this way of, of respecting this thing that was greater than me. Right. Um, but eventually, you know, you hang out with your, your buds, you turn on the stereo, and you just want to do it because it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. And it turned on me. Right. And I, I right. couldn't smoke grass anymore. I couldn't yeah. handle my high, quote unquote. Right. Um, right. And 
that's fine. I don't do it. I can't. I, I, lo- I look at people, you know, with envy who can do it, but I can't do it. Um, and I feel it's because I didn't give it someone out there. It, something out there was telling me that you weren't respecting it enough. Right. And right. and I think that when when you know you, you say take peyote or you, if you want to learn more about this peyote or ayahuasca or, or even marijuana, mm-hmm. I mean, all, I I really feel that people should be told this that yeah. it's not for partying purposes. Oh, this yeah. stuff is yeah. for mind expansion, spiritual expansion. Right. That's why I was doing it. Yeah. And when I would. I would use music as, as like to help me get in, like to to have a, a um, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like a a, a greater emotional experience with the help right. of the the grass right. and the mushrooms and stuff. And right. and you know I I, I think I, I I can't say I abused it because I wasn't like waking and baking, but I didn't right. do it the way that I think my body or my brain right. knew I should be. Well. There's a couple really important points that you raise here, one of which is, yes, if you're going to do this, you know, these kind of entheogens, you need to do them under the supervision of a, of a trained shaman or medicine person in a ceremony. Yeah. These are not things that you take re- recreationally and go to a house party. I right. mean, you just, ayahuasca, is, you can't do it like that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't let you do it. I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to function. Um, but also, you know, things like, like pot, you know, I mean, I tried pot a few times and it doesn't work i didn't like the way it made me it made me feel stupid you know just shut my brain down and i i i'm not that guy i can't function like that so so uh i haven't touched this stuff in decades but the the pot that they grow now is so strong and concentrated and you know it's like it's a heavy narcotic yeah it's much the same way as chewing coca leaves in peru which i did which is a natural um, it's what the Quechua people do to, to be able to survive at high altitudes, be able to cross mountain paths and, and bear the cold. That's why they chew coca leaves. But then somebody figured out how to make cocaine out of it. And it's you know one of the most evil drugs ever invented. Yeah. So, you know, in a lot of ways, modern hydroponic super powerful pot is, is just not the same thing as what natural pot used to be in the same way that cocaine is not what coca leaves are, you know, or heroin to opium. You know, these are like very, these are synthesized, super powerful man-made chemicals and the body does not react well to that. Um, And I'm in no way advocating any of that. I I am one of those people that doesn't think that, you know, that you you should do narcotics and think that you're going to get some kind of mystical experience out of it because you you won't. You'll just get like some hard lessons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> However, yeah. doing, you know, indigenous ceremonies that use use naturally occurring plant-based medicines, that I think a, a huge amount of wisdom and information can be gained from that. But but again, you know, uh, under the supervision of a shaman or trained medicine person. This but, is... you know, one thing, I mean, just if you want to just keep on the same thread, you said you had three things to ask me about. Well, it? the yeah. first one was ayahuasca. Then yeah. I was going to ask, uh, talk about uh, Cedell Davis. And, oh, yeah, and yeah. playing with him the other yeah, day. And, yeah. and your Oh, there is a connection there. So, yeah. With, with ayahuasca? Well, it's river, river-based river music. Right. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. So, so fast forward now, you know, uh, how many years was that now? That's you know, 10 years ago, 
that I that I first went to Peru. Although I I had been in South America a couple times before that, uh, twice to Brazil and uh, once in Central America where I was studying music and um, and I lived in Brazil for for a few months at a time. Um, so I came back to the United States and I realized that I was going to keep doing music, but I wasn't quite ready to leap into being in a rock band again. So I, w- I was producing records uh, for my own record label, this small label called Shunyata Records. And one of the records I put out was uh, with C. Dell Davis, who is now 88 years old. Uh, he's one of the original Delta Blues musicians, uh, originally from Arkansas, which is the other side of the Mississippi River, um, which he would frequently remind us of. And uh, he, um, he's a direct link to Robert Johnson, the, uh, the legendary Delta singer and slide guitar player. And C. Dell Davis uh, played with Robert Nighthawk, who was Robert Johnson's slide guitar player. So he okay. was really just one musician removed from Robert Johnson. And C. Dell had a had a very uh, respected career as a singer, slide guitarist. Um, you know, the Rolling Stones were influenced by him, and and anybody that really studied the blues and the roots of American rock would have known about C. Dell Davis. But the decades wear on, and you know, and an old blues man gets older. Um, although that's actually when they are doing their best work, is is when they're old and seasoned like that. So. In uh, 2001, I got to make a record with C. Dell and Peter Buck uh, from R.E.M., and we made this great Delta Blues record called When Lightning Struck the Pine. And we did a, we did a full U.S. tour, and uh, C. Dell was in a wheelchair at this point, but, but he was healthy and totally able to do a full U.S. tour. And at the end of the tour, we, you know, we paid him, and we took him back to his little home in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And... Uh, you know, another 10 years goes by and, uh, you know, C. Dell is um, 88 years old now and uh, out playing shows again. And we invited him to come sit in with the walking papers in Dallas yeah, just, uh, last week, just last week. And so we did uh, we did C. Dell's hit song, which was called She's Got the Devil in Her and uh, which was covered by many people over the years. And oh, um, and we also did uh, kind of a classic Delta song called Rollin' and Tumblin'. And I think uh, I've been asked to 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 play drums at, uh, on another record. Oh, that great! C. Dell's going to do with he's going to do he's another do another album with a different group of musicians. You know, different people want to play with him, and I've been asked to play drums on it. So that's great. Now, did he ask you just then in Dallas back then? Yeah, he. Oh, uh, great! He he and his uh, guitar player uh, Greg Benz, uh, Greg and his son, you know, take care of C. Dell and take him around to do the blues festivals. Those were the two guys on stage with yeah, you guys playing yeah, guitar. Exactly. It's a father and son. And it's great, you know, when you see the family being involved in music and wanting to continue to, you know, learn those songs and preserve the tradition. And so, uh, I mean, C. Dell still lives. He lives, he has assisted living, but he's still very independent. But he still needs people to, you know, drive him around the South when he's going to play a blues festival. Or, right. So, um, but what's interesting, the, the way I'm connecting this to uh, the Amazon is that the, the American Delta Blues, of course, it's built around the Mississippi Delta, which is, you know, the, the Amazon River of North America, this gigantic river that moves ships and cargo and human beings and stories, I think is the most important part of it. 
So like the Amazon, you have these uh, masters of music, these Delta bluesmen and women, and all forms of popular music in the United States, at least, stem from that tradition. So jazz is the first offshoot of the blues. Um, and it was Charles Mingus that said, you can't play jazz unless you understand the blues. And he's right about that. You really have to understand the root of it all. Um, and then, of course, rock and roll and rockabilly and country blues and eventually, you know, modern country Western music as we know it today. All of it can be traced to the blues. Um, and what the blues are famous for are these great characters and stories of the interactions of those characters. And very often the theme that runs through it is the Mississippi River, life along the banks of the Mississippi in the Delta um, sharecropper stories, you know, plantation stories, slave songs, um, you know, all of this is, is and, and the blues has that deep and mystical aura around it too, you know. It's got elements of the devil at the crossroads and, and, uh, and there's a parallel with that and the, uh, the African Orisha Eligua, who is sort of this Mephistophelian, you know, sort of trickster devil that hangs out around crossroads trying to trick people into into deals that maybe they wouldn't do on, a, on any other day. Right. Um, so you see all of these these uh, these metaphors and these these allegories and, you know, it, it goes back to Africa and it's 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 uh, it's mysterious and and uh, you never really know the outcome of the story and in the blues often oftentimes the outcome is not a good one yeah right you know but um but it's the whole thing is a, is a metaphor for the universe you know the universe is not always light and positive that you know there's a dark side to the universe it's a continuum you know darkness and light and we try to walk through the middle of that but each of us has a little bit of both in it in us you know as as we've talked about you know, the, the stories of walking through darkness and hard times is often what gives us the wisdom and the strength, you know, to persevere through something else. So that's why, one of the reasons why I, um, I've always loved the blues and I've, and I've loved the fact that, you know, the bands I've been in have been connected to that is I love the stories. I love the mythology of it. I love the, um, the fact that, you know, it steps on the edge of darkness a little bit. You know, this is this is not new age music we're talking about. You know, it's it's real human music. Well, that's that's the perfect ending, Barrett. I think I can't. I don't want to sully that by asking you about how the uh, the Reno gig was, even though I'm sure it was awesome. But uh, <laughs> that was perfect. I think we're going to end it right there. Thanks, Barrett. Thank you for being on the podcast again. It was an honor. It's it's an honor to be on here. It's always an honor to talk with you. And I look forward to seeing you and catering for our next off microphone. Tonight. <laughs>